and welcome to this week's Invisible Not Broken. I have a guest. I have been um, slightly cyber-stalking since she wrote me. I will gush for just a minute. Her name is Lisa Snyderman, and when she wrote me, and she's like, so I do this beautiful music also, and I, I wrote a book. Um, I started stalking her music, and it is fairy and light and gorgeousness, and um, I am completely hooked and I will be buying every album. I've been listening to it all day, which has really been helping my writing as well. And speaking of, she is an author and she wrote A Light in the Darkness, Transcending Chronic Illness with the Power of Art and Attitude. So anyone who knows me knows that I saw that. I was like, ah, yes, of course I'm interviewing you. Um, also, I didn't know this or didn't know if you knew this, but we are going to be friends now. So the idea of art and chronic illness is huge for me. And I'm going to probably, oh, um, this comes out on September 21st. So if you head to the show notes, there will be a big button that will take you directly to the sale of her book. So head over to show notes. And I will also have a link to her YouTube channel and anywhere else I can find her music so that you guys can just easily discover the bright, lovely fairiness that is Lisa. Um, you go by a different name for your music, though. And I'm not going to try to pronounce it because I'm bad. <laughs> no, you're doing awesome. I want to say thank you so much for that just loveliness and gushing. It's really very kind and sweet. Um, and everyone who knows and this podcast knows I'm not lovely or gushing. So this really I know, right? To From you, like... listening to you, this is like sort of a 180. And it's really cool because I, I love that I have that impact. Um, yes, my persona, my artist persona is 80, like oh. AD. Aedy is the muse of song in Greek mythology. And I picked that name because I wanted affiliation with inspiration and the muse. And that happened way back in 2006 or so, having had no idea of what was to come in my world and in my health. And I actually really embodied that muse, right? I, I embodied that theme in so much of what I'm doing now. So it is, it is a perfect name, and I guess it's just very fitting, you know, that that's become um, a journey, journey of the muse. You have been on one huge journey, and I don't even know where to start, so I'm just going to start with your diagnosis. Yeah, oh, I thought you were going to try it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not singing. Uh-uh, no. Both of my children as babies would, like, put their hands to my mouth to make me stop singing. No, no one wants to hear me singing. I'm not going to sing diagnosis for you. I'm going to tell you it. But okay, so here's what I'll say. Picture yourself, right? It's six weeks before you're getting married and you're about to go on tour to promote your first full album. You're working full time. And imagine you get a skin rash and you go to a doctor appointment thinking, you know, it's a dermatologist. He's going to give you some topical skin rash cream and send you on your way. And instead, he tells you you have a rare, unpronounceable disease and refers you to a rheumatologist. And you're 36 years old. That sets the stage. So when I was 36, which is just now, about 10 years ago, uh, I was diagnosed with a rare disease. And it was right in the middle of life craziness, as, as is apt to happen, right? Um, and so the real diagnosis of my disease. It's called dermatomyositis. It's a progressive muscle weakness disease. And if folks have heard of lupus or rheumatoid, excuse me, <laughs> rheumatoid arthritis, things like that nature, it's in that rubric. Um, so it's a muscle disease. Does that help? That helps tremendously. I, um, I'm in awe of all of you who have 
gotten your diagnoses later in life and have not been sick until later in life. I, I mean, I've been sick since I was eight, so that's so, it's my world. I don't know how all of you process chronic pain and chronic weakness if you haven't been dealing with it. And you had a wedding that was coming up. Yeah. That must have been a lot of really <laughs> intense, like, husband-wife discussion before. I, 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 I'm just amazed. Like, my husband was my best friend for three years, so he watched me through all of the good, the bad. He he knew all of this before yeah. we even started dating. How did yeah. this affect both of you? I mean, you were right on, like, the cusp of, okay, so we are a team. We got each other's backs for oh, better yeah. or worse, healthier and sicker, and then sicker comes along way faster. Well, it's true, but we also had the benefit of having that partnership for a couple of years before we got married. I've been with my husband now for 16 years, married to him for 10. So we had almost 10 years, uh, sorry, six years of non-illness to get to know each other and, you know, see what we're really like uh, without a patient caretaker relationship. But I will say that that honestly did change once I was getting sick. Um, the real thing was once I got the diagnosis of rare autoimmune disease, I instantly, you know, grabbed him and asked him if he still wanted to marry me because I, it's not like I thought, you know, he's going to say no. And if he did, I probably, he probably wouldn't have been the right partner for me, but I will tell you how much my decision of him being the right partner, you know, like some examples of this, like during the worst of my disease, I had a flare and that was in 2010. And what was happening is basically dermatomyositis, um, like I said, is a progressive muscle weakness disease. So during this flare, I wasn't able to move any of my muscles um, and it came on very suddenly and it put me in the hospital for about a month and I had no use, right? I had to um, go through rehab and relearn to walk and relearn to sit and relearn to play music and sing and all of those things that I cared about. So where was Dave, my partner, along, you know, with all of this, right by my side, right? The whole entire time he was at the hospital. And same with my mom, by the way, who flew in the morning that I checked into the hospital. She flew on a flight, uh, you know, flight from Arizona, and she was with me. So I'm, no, I'm kind of painting a picture to say that support was like huge and still is for helping through, you know, these just unspeakable and, and really um, difficult times. But what happened is like, you know, he would have to work a full day and then he'd go to the hospital, you know, and he'd just, he'd be with me when I was finally ready to come home. He built a ramp, right. So that I could have um, my wheelchair have, you know, fix the, make room for the equipment and make sure that I had what I needed. He made me shakes when I had to gain strength and um, take in a lot of protein each day. Um, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And but you don't know, you know, until you get sick, how that relationship with your partner is going to be. And I was just completely fortunate that my partner did not, you know, run the other way for one, um, you know, or say good luck. And, you know, <laughs> that's it. Right. I mean, yes, it's for richer and poorer. Yes, it's in sickness and health. But when the, the shit hits the fan, right, what is really going to happen? And you know, I'm sure you have your own experience. You know, I, I hear this a lot because my husband and I have, we have like almost uh, an annoyingly good relationship, but we, we still discussed everyone and we've married for 12 years and we still text each other every day and we're gross. We're, we're still romantic. And 
a part of that is that when you're sick, you, you don't get to do the big things. Like, you can't go do the big gestures. And um, if he suddenly surprised me with a night out, it would be that he didn't know me at all because I can't go on a night out. So we've been doing, like, date nights, but in our own way. So it really does force you to try to really get to know the other person and what works for them for what romance would actually mean for them. So you really have to, like, work on the friendship part and you have to have each other's back. I mean, that's just kind of like the basis of any good, any relationship is you have to have someone who has your back. Absolutely. And then if you add, you know, you having a chronic illness on top of that, it just, for me, for example, it became less about what we did and more about being together because I had to get over my own guilt and Mm. issues of- How did you do that? (laughs) Right. Like preventing him- from doing things that he might do were I to be healthy. In other words, like if he likes to go hiking and be outdoors and he would do, you know, ski patrol for a long time, he was, you know, doing things that were taking a lot of strength, stamina, energy, and things that frankly I did not have anymore. So the question was, was he going to stop doing all those things or continue to do them because they, you know, helped shape him and and give him things that I I couldn't. Um, and what we kind of came to mutually was a compromise at times, right? He would do those things for him. But most of the time we agreed that, hey, it isn't about what we, you know, what we are doing. It's about being together. Um, we've already had six years, we thought, you know, to go out and see the world and do all these things in that way. So you know, I'm just so fortunate that I have a partner who is so compassionate and understanding in the way, you know, he's accommodating. He knows. Um, and he's the first to check in on me to say, like, hey, you've had, you know, three interviews today already. Have you taken a nap? It's the same thing, like, you know, the texting and that kind of stuff. We're, we have each other's backs in that way. That is so sweet. We just started doing our dates at home. So we actually do set up like a little table out. We have this great bedroom oh. with like, like French doors out to the backyard. And we sit outside with like the glass of wine. And like, we just have our own little. Yeah. Besides, since I can't leave the house, that's what we'll do. We'll have the date in the house. I mean, we do have like the wolf and the pug like snorting around, which really adds to the romance when you have a pug snorting by your legs. But I love that you, you have a pug. I love that you have a pug. I have a wire fox terrier. I should say we, because it's husband and I. Um, we don't have kids, but we have our, you know, dog child. And oh. such a huge part of my heart and our home. And so to hear, and Alice's best friend is a pug. And so therefore, okay, do you want me to yes. pick, um, pick show her up? Yes, yeah. show me puppy. I am like the biggest dog person in the world. I will stop anyone with dogs. Oh my God, that face. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh puppy. Super, super cute. Oh my this God, I'm Alice. dying. <laughs> oh. So the, the comments we get about Alice usually are, um, is she a stuffed animal? Are you, you know, <laughs> are you sure that that's a real dog? Can I touch her? Can I pet her? That's the most adorable dog I've ever seen, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I'm so, thinking she proves that Brian Froud is God and actually designed <laughs> an animal that we have here. Like that is a Brian Froud fairy dog. I have to say while we're talking that you have amazing energy. Like my energy is good. I, I will completely fully disclose that I've had three interviews today and I've also started, you know, editing those interviews. So I have not had my requisite oh. nap. I can feel it in my voice. But I'd rather come on your show 
and be honestly me and authentically me Please. because this is where we are. Right. Well, and after this, I say, I'm going to go take a nap. I will probably finish what I needed to do and then take a nap. That is the reality. <laughs> That's a good asterisk to put by all of this. Um, you, you missed the two hours before where I was crying in bed, curled up, and my husband <laughs> had to like, my uh, my foot bones completely dislocated and I almost had to cancel because I was like, they're everywhere. This is like dolly designed by foot. Like this is, this is sculpture. This is no longer a functional skeletal system. And we got it all back into place. I'm able to do this, but you you missed all the fun right before I got to this. You are a a trooper, but I I can tell already from listening to you and, and from what I know about you, how much you persevere, it seems like, and that we need these kinds of exchanges, connections, and art. Um, so yes. we'll talk about being my friend. It, the feeling is move. Because <laughs> I, really, I try to surround myself and attract the people that are going to lift me and, and then I can lift them, right? Yes. And so um, when you started talking about the book, for example, the reason I wanted to bring back to that is because I realized that part of my story is sharing uh, my experience and sharing in order so that others have an opening to share as well. And that's what seems to be happening. And that's um, a, an effort that has also been started is something that I'm doing called Lights in the Darkness. So um, oh, please I talk wanna, about that. That sounds beautiful. Okay, so here's sort of the origin of this is that I said, okay, I'm going to share my story. I'm writing a memoir. And I want to think, first, it was literally just a way to say, I don't want to do a go to a Barnes and Noble and have like a a book reading. That's not me. And that doesn't reflect my journey and my story. And what I did want to do was collaborate with other artists who are also creating to heal. And I put a little post, like a call for, you know, passionate artists, musicians, and authors who are creating to heal. And I put that out in May. And I've just gotten like an overwhelming response for people who are interested in participating in such an effort. And I didn't want to make, you know, one event that's one geographic location because it's very hard. Say where, what location are you again? I'm just across the bay from you. (gasps) You're not. I am. I'm like 30 minutes from you without traffic. Normally will be like, oh, I'm in Minnesota or whatever. Okay, that makes more sense. Sorry. No, no. If, I, if either one of us could have driven, we could have done this face-to-face, but we might as well be in Minnesota. It's really wild. Okay, well, anyway, my point is <laughs> that um, – so, oh God, now I'm getting distracted. Let's I, see. I'm really good at it. You have, you have absolutely completely pinpointed how Kira's has to always bring me back. It's like, I will talk about everything and anything, but maybe back to this project you're doing. I mean, the one thing that I think that people don't understand about technology when they talk about the good old days and not having the distraction is that they yeah. miss that when you're sick, this is a way that you get to put your art out there. Hey, heck, even if you're not sick, this is how you get to put your art out to the world. And you can collaborate in ways with people all over the world. Absolutely. So what I was going to say, and thank you, it did actually bring that back to me, which was just because you might be in the other part of the bay all the way over there. <laughs> I didn't oh, want it to be, yes. <laughs> we're going to have an event in December that's live performance in Redwood City. And that is not that far from you. Okay, good. But 
I also wanted to make it an online experience because I understand, especially with chronic illness and all the, you know, people in my world that might want to, um, you know, access something like that. So I, I decided I would make a video uh, component. Well, that has blown up and I'm now interviewing more than 42 right now people who are artists, musicians, and authors using creativity to help heal. And that's taking the form of either healing themselves or healing others. And just um, talking about their experiences with creativity and healing and, you know, learning from them has been really, you know, transformational for me too. Uh, it's it's a new path, right? It's something that I didn't know that I was going to do, right? You, you kind of introduced me as I don't know how you introduced me, but I'm a singer-songwriter. I am a recording artist. I'm a voiceover actor. I'm a teaching artist. Now I'm an author. I'm sort of becoming a filmmaker, right? Like like all these different hats um, are making me, you know, making up what's what's me. But I don't really understand it until I just sort of follow it, follow my muse, and that's that's what's happening. Anyone who's listening to this right now who knows me personally from like before knows that I'm absolutely adoring you right now so much. It's like when your body is not allowing you to do everything you said you wanted to do, like no one grows up thinking like, I want to be in a wheelchair. I want to like when I grow up, that's I want to be Meg and little women. That sounds great. Oh, Um, yeah. (laughs) So we have to find different ways to stay alive mentally, creatively, spiritually. And when we don't get to have that big outside focus, it's amazing what you can find interior wise, especially like I just so resonate with fairy tales and fantasy. You just rocked my world with that. And um, I'm thinking like maybe for you, I know it is for me. I spent a lot of time not being able to get out of bed, um, a lot of time being stuck and to get unstuck is really to go into that fairy tale fantasy world. Is that what you're finding with, with your, your fantasy feelings? What I discovered and part of it was actually writing the memoir that, that helped unlock and unleash this for me is that I was using my musicals and my escape into fantasy and bright and light as a way to cope with the day to day of living in the darkness, except that Mm -hmm. I didn't really know that I didn't consciously know. For example, I have a musical, excuse me, a musical called what are dreams made of? And the general concept is light and dark. The whole idea is that my protagonist, A.D. the Muse, has a terrible reoccurring nightmare and she must confront goblins, dream gods and, and, um, other uh, nefarious creatures, I can't remember. And she has to get to the heart of her dream in order for it to stop. Okay, so here I am inventing a world that has light and dark. And I even have a character who's overtaken by a siren. And it becomes, you know, like she descends into darkness. And here I had no idea until I was writing my memoir that I was really acting out aspects of what I was going through, um, dealing with and plunging into my own, you know, dermatomyositis and living with that. I mean, it's just, it's, it's almost obvious, painfully obvious, but I really, as I was doing it, all I was thinking is this is escape. This is a way, like, I don't want to deal with that darkness. I'm going to write bright, you know, bright songs. Like you're hearing fairy tale love. It, I mean, it's the epitome and the opposite of what my day-to-day darkness was like. 
Um, so yeah, you're right. You know, I, I definitely used it, but I really did not consciously think I'm going to write a, mu- a musical to process that. And that's probably yeah. for the best that you go into it going, this is how, the, because then you're, you're limiting it into a, a box. I, at least I'm, I'm just speaking from personal take experience, like with my own art. Different, ex- a different place. I might've taken it to a different place if I had gone into it with, I'm intending, you know, to, to like right now, I'm intending to create a piece to share my story for that December event. And I will consciously take parts of my songs and, you know, and my story and create something, you know what I mean? That's a totally different intention than I want to create a fantasy musical. Also, I'm really different as an artist because most artists don't create full musicals and record them on audiobooks. Um, it's imagine, for example, you're listening, it's like a radio play. So you have dialogue and sound effects and sound design and character voices and narration and songs and instrumentation. And it's a full, um, you know, say hour and 47 minute, you know, production. And so you really don't see a lot of artists doing that. And then I take that and I try to adapt them to uh, theater. So I'm, I'm trying to adapt that to productions. So all of that is sort of my process for not focusing on illness. So what I love so much about what you just said is you explained how this is possible. You explained how someone like um, any of the people I've interviewed, um, the, even the teenager I interviewed over in Wales, um, that this is, if you put into bright-sized chunks, anyone who has a story and a spirit can create real art from bed, from an iPad. and. That just sparks my whole brain on what is possible, especially if someone who has the stamina issues and the exhaustion. And, you know, it's it's not that you necessarily would be sitting there for 12 hours doing this, but you might be able to, like, depending on what anyone's disability is, this is something you could break into bite-sized chunks and create something really beautiful and special to share with the world. Or at least just to distract yourself from whatever you're going through. Yeah, you know, I'm a big fan of distraction. (laughs) To me, it's both. It's both aspects. It's the creating, and it's also the sharing. So one aspect that, so I guess for my process, it's been expressive first. I was just doing it to express. Then I learned that what I'm doing is also having an impact on others. And whether it's something like what you just said, how my songs made you feel right? That's one thing that by sharing it, we have a connection now, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's different. And that also helps me heal. That helps you. And that helps me heal. Right. So to me, it's that whole process that you're getting healing, both from the creating and the sharing. And is that going back to your book, A Light in the Darkness, Transcending <laughs> Illness Through the Power of Art and Attitude? My brain is on like, <laughs> like I have, I, I know the book's title. I just have to no, you, right. <laughs> I'd have to Saying like the entire title, you could say a light in the darkness. <laughs> it's totally cool. So, but once I start going, it just kept going. Yeah. I know it's funny, isn't it? So, um, it's been really special. It's my first book. It's coming out, like you said, nine days, right? So, oh, I'm, I'm in so the- proud of you. It's huge, yeah. right? Me, that's like, and that's the other thing. These little and little or big <laughs> milestones are really special like first success like we can totally talk about like what does success mean <laughs> let's discuss that right afterwards because that's a big topic yeah it's huge but the reason I'm okay well we'll go back to success but my point is that put, putting the book together is 
is one of those moments where, you know, you can just say like each moment along the way was a small success. That's all I'm trying to say. One is just the envisioning. I want to do it. The next is putting it down on, you know, on paper. The next is finding the editor, right? The next is, okay, uh, restructuring the whole damn thing because it's really (laughs) not where I want to be because you always end up learning tons more from what you don't do right than what you're doing right. Okay. So, I, it, you know, the, the short story behind that really quick is I wanted to put out something that was like confessions of a singer songwriter who became a muse. And I wanted it to be all journal style day one, day five, you know, and, and that, frankly, I'm actually going to put that back in um, <laughs> and create a piece around that for December. But th- okay, that aside, I went back and realized that in order for to have impact and to have in to be inspirational, which is what the muse is supposed to be, right? I think I need to structure it in a way that's more of my life lessons, you know, supported by my journey and my stories along the way. So I really put my my book together thinking about, for example, struggling with a body in revolt or, or redefining success or facing your fears following your bliss. I'm reading my chapter titles. Don't mind me. Putting yourself <laughs> Surrounding yourself with cheerleaders, finding positive role models, celebrating abundance, keeping your dreams alive and being a light in the darkness. By, by, by putting some of these, what, by telling you these chapter titles, what it is, it's a sort of setting the stage for people who might be going through something. It doesn't even have to be the same disease or even a disease. It could be a life challenge or a you know unexpected life event that but who whatever you're going through these are some of those universals you know that hopefully by reading my story and understanding how one way just that I've processed things that you might get some hope you know some inspiration in order to keep your dreams alive right and and that's the biggest thing is that um, just because you have a chronic illness doesn't mean you can't live well with chronic illness and you can't also keep your dreams alive. That's, <laughs> I don't think there's many more important lessons that can be taught when with chronic illness, especially, I mean, like for someone who has just been diagnosed, there's so much that you're saying goodbye to. And even someone like me where I've been sick for a long time, but my disease changes, my disorder changes constantly. There is no, <laughs> it, it keeps me entertained. It is never boring. I am never bored, <laughs> but I'm always saying goodbye to something. I'm always having to let go of something. And it's always important to learn that that's not, that's not necessarily the end of everything. That's the start of something new. And that's so, a, a new yeah. challenge. It- Right. And so when I would say for people, you know, when you're first diagnosed, there's a ton of things that you're already getting transitions. Right. And so one of the big things is that recognizing that, like I said, dreams don't have to die. They can change from what mm. they were once were. So here's a, a perfect example. I was um, running a writing session for the Myositis Association's conference last September in San Diego. And one, it was just an opportunity after we did the writing. And I'll be honest, the writing was just an opening so that we could all share. It wasn't about necessarily what we wrote about that we're talking, but people one by one wanted to have that opening and share. And so what happened is somebody was sharing how the dream that this person was a pilot in their past life, quote unquote. And once they got, you know, myositis and they could no longer physically do this kind of work, 
they kind of gave up for a while until they rediscovered a way that they could keep that dream alive, which was to be a flight simulator instructor. And so they were able to pull what they loved in a way that was still, you know, with the limitations, realistic limitations they had, and still do that dream. And like you were saying about, you know, people who are in bed, I mean, here's an example of a fan who contacted me and inspired Perfect Day, which you may have heard. Perfect Day was inspired by somebody who has a muscle disease and cannot get out of bed. He's on breathing tubes. He's at the hospital half the time. But he is so positive, and he's a webmaster of an orchestra, and he loves ship spotting that he does from the help of his wife to go take pictures. And because of this, and because of him wanting to promote artists that he finds online, surprisingly, um, I, I was really moved you know, by his story and sparked to write a song you know, for him. But my point is, somebody, even somebody who's in bed doing things like that still find, you got to find reasons to to be and purpose, right? We're all worthy and we all need purpose. Let's Just see my tattoo here. It says uh, purpose and possibility with my aunt's initials. It's my memorial tattoo to her, but it's the idea that we, we as humans, like in our hierarchy of needs, a big part of that is purpose and possibility. Like we have to know that we have a possibility beyond what we are and we have to know that we're purposeful. Like those are the building blocks of almost sanity, at least for me. Yeah. And also that we're not just a burden on both the people that we love and our society because disability, especially, and people with illness, a lot of times, right. We're seen by others as perhaps not having joy, perhaps not having purpose, perhaps not being capable of what neurotypical people are capable, you know, not neurotypical, but you know what I mean? of what, um, I won't even use the word normal. It's just, so low. <laughs> it's uh, of healthier people, even, right? Even if I was healthy, I was never going to hit the bar of normal. It was not happening. Normal. <laughs> yeah. It's not my vocabulary, but you know, anyway, I think you understand what I'm saying. It's that it's, it's hard enough that to, to, um, re redefine, right. What it means to live with illness. I think that the more that you do these podcasts, the more that inspirational people that are doing really good things and positive things and making a difference and finding joy, that is, that should be the message that we spread, not what we can't do and what our limitations are. I, I, I can understand where you're going with that. I, there's a little bit of me that's like, you know, <laughs> there, there, I definitely have my dark moments and I, I've been trying to be way more honest with everyone about my depression and the dark stuff because I, I, realized that when I was hiding it, it wasn't helping, it wasn't helping me, um, at least for myself, just totally personal stuff there. Um, but you had talked about fans and I wanted to get to that for just a second because I don't know if people understand how important that is when you reach out to someone like anyone, like any author or a creator and just tell them what it means because the emails I've gotten, I can't tell you. <laughs> There's been so many times I've been ready to end this podcast because I've been so sick and I'm like, I can't, I, I cannot keep going. And I get an email. It's like, okay, so I'm going to keep going. <laughs> and like my books oh, that I've yeah. written, um, half of them would not exist. Like most of my books would not have gotten finished if a kid had not asked their parent when that book was coming out. And then the parent emails me and goes, my child just asked me. I'm like, all right, so I'll tell your child thank you. And now it's going to be out in three weeks. I will <laughs> yeah. get this for your kid. It will get to, like, yeah, I yeah, have yeah. to do it for someone.
someone otherwise it doesn't happen and I and like your your fan who wrote you I don't think people realize like even not to say I'm famous I'm certainly not um but they're like I think anyone wants to hear that everyone needs to not needs to realize they're not in a vacuum Absolutely. Everyone also, I feel like needs to have that sense of worth when you, you know, we talk about purpose, but also worth and dignity and contribution. And so it doesn't matter, you know, to me, whether it's artistic or in, or another vein, you know, I have a, a, a friend who's, um, disease is a similar one to mine and she has gone into patient advocacy. That's the direction it took her and helping others, you know, process what this is like. And so, you know, I actually had her on conversations on creating to heal because it wasn't necessarily that she was turning to art, but it was that that was for her, that is her expression is patient advocacy. Right. So I've, I've found that so many things are also like the artist is within, you know what I mean? You're always, you are an artist and it doesn't matter whether you're painting or doing poetry or making a film or doing this. It's like, you just call yourself an artist. Um, and so, yeah. <laughs> no, you make such a good point. And I wanted to ask you about success because you had started to talk about yeah. it. And I yeah. really think that that is such a, a sticky word. And you got to experience uh, an adult life before being sick where success probably meant something very different for you than where you are now. Can you talk a little bit about your journey with like your understanding and your expectations of success? Yeah, sure. So the idea of in the music world, that's where I basically have my first um, professional, right? If I call myself a professional, it was first as a singer songwriter then as a playwright, and now as an author. So it's sort of, it's an evolving journey. Um, And even before that, actually, let's go to environmental scientist, because while I was um, having the experience, it's like a double path of being a singer-songwriter while I was working full-time. And that was all happening, by the way, when I got diagnosed. So, you know, part of this is just probably a ton of stress <laughs> from all of these things happening where you're on go, 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 like an energizer bunny rabbit. Okay. But that said, um, think success was very different at that point, right? Um, in some cases, success is uh, a paycheck. But when I was working for, you know, for the state as an environmental scientist, it was strictly, you know, going and being in my field of passion, um, feeling like I could affect change and make a difference. And then taking home a paycheck, like all those things were success in my industry. And then in, as a singer songwriter, there, there are just these little um, arbitrary points that I would define success. So for example, it might be put out an album because that's a goal of mine. And if I reached that goal, I felt like I had achieved success versus, you know, at some point when you start getting industry success, industry recognition, that's a different level and type of success. So in this time between 2012 and 2018, I've received more than 50 awards for different aspects of my art. And that's all while having a chronic illness. So for me, I look at all, I look at that also as a form of success. But at the same time, I'm going to be totally honest, I am paving my own path. So it's not like I'm looking at success based on a tour, right? Some people, musicians would go, okay, I'm going to record an album, then I'm going to go tour. And that's a traditional way that a lot of artists would have, you know, or I'm going to open for somebody like 
Taylor Swift or Molly Cyrus or, you know, whatever it was. Demi Lovato, somebody. I, right? I have a preteen, so you just, like, totally went through my world right now. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> have, you know. I have Taylor Swift going through the house on almost late. Excellent. I'm starting to have a new respect for Taylor Swift. Like, Absolutely, right? And, and rep, rep, reputation, baby. Reputation. I, you know, after what she did oh. with the Me Too movement, I'm like, I will never say a disparaging thing about that woman ever. I, I, Rocking. Yeah, exactly. I, I actually have a lot of respect because she's being a good role model for women. And she's, you uh, and know, my she's, preteen daughter, I am all good with like her strength. <laughs> it's awesome in some ways, you know, so, but my point is that was a um, the trajectory ended up really changing. So as I've come different places in my career, success has meant so many different things. What about like, let's go back to being in the hospital. All success was literally was, can I sit up today? Can I move my, can I, you know, in PT, can I use my hand to open something? Can I close and open? The, the one huge success for me was uh, putting a two third size guitar in my arms and playing, uh, you know, what I called my anthem through the storm called what you got, uh, what is it? what you got. <laughs> and the reason that was big for me is because, you know, I most desperately wanted to learn to play and sing again. So having just that, you know, child-sized guitar in my lap, even though it was like I had no core strength, I couldn't sit up, I couldn't hold myself up. But when I played that, I knew that, you know, it was going to be okay. Like something inside me knew, right? So I would say success is is all relative. It's all based on like what it is that you're dealing with in that moment and what your sort of right, what your world is. Um, does that make sense? Like in the that professional world. That is the most world, beautiful thing I've ever heard is the idea of you sitting there with this child-sized guitar going, I'm just going to sing and play because this is my heart and this is what I yeah. do. That's beautiful. And you're right in the hospital. It really, um, <laughs> me and hospitals are not friends. Um, it does absolutely change everything because when you get sick, your definition of success changes so drastically. Like my friends who have had breast cancer, it was, I have all these career goals. Now I need to survive to next year. And that's the only goal I have. And with my physical therapy, it can get very intense. And it's like, okay, so no other goals today, except I need to do my bridges. That's all I am counting on is to do bridges today. <laughs> like that'll be successful. That's your, huge your bar too. changes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Your baseline changes, your bar changes. But, you know, I also feel like it gives you freedom because then you can not have to have the weight of the world on you. You're, you know, it gives you permission and freedom, right? You're not having to say, I also have to take care of this and this business and take care of the dog and wash the floor and right. All those things sort of go away when you start kind of being mindful of what it is. Right. And so to me, self-care is very big. I think that we all need to have, I hope we can make the space for self-care because so many people, unfortunately, do live that life where they're, you know, making ends meet. And that's really, really hard. Um, they may you not have, have listened to this podcast. Yeah. We talk about income inequality all the time here. Yeah. You're right. I mean, we're, we're I, I'm guessing you're in a similar boat where um, it's really lucky to have a steady wage earner that is your partner who who yes. helps with that is I can't imagine dealing with the stress of, um, cause I'm on disability. 
So I have I have a very fixed income that comes in, and people have meant, had, have said some very interesting things about that when they've learned I'm on disability. And to explain that if I didn't have a husband bringing in money, there's no way my children and I could even afford a room and food. Like, that would be beyond us, let alone the health care. So it's not, you know, when, when you have someone to take that stress, that's incredible. But you're right with self-care. It's so funny how we... We look down, and that also goes back to income inequality because I, I am political. I'll do this. Um, but there's a lot of judgment on people who have a fixed income, and they take care of themselves. And I think it's so unfortunate because everyone needs that steam valve release, like all of us. Yeah. That's that's pretty extreme. Um, I wanted to know how you stayed sane in the hospital. You were there for a month, and I can't handle a day. I start, like, <laughs> twitching. How did you – were you able to stay creative and so artistic? No, <laughs> in those moments, that's when, okay, so you have to also remember that it's okay to totally surrender. Mm. And, it, and I mean that because if you give yourself permission to do that, you're, you're giving, I was scared, I think a little bit to surrender because I like control, especially when you're dealing with illness. There's so many things that are out of your control that the things you maintain control over give you power. Um, and maybe def help define you or give you a little identity. So it was hard. Um, but when you're in crisis, that's a different situation. And I mean crisis. Um, at the time, I was, you know, say I was on prednisone, you know, a steroid for no my day to day. They had to increase that by a thousand times. Um, and then they, you know, gave me infusions to um, in ICU to try to get me to come come back and, you know, have some strength. And so it's all you you can't do anything about it. So all I can say is, no, I didn't go to a creative place. I went to two places, um, family that was around me. So support. And I knew that even though I wasn't really like that conscious of everything that was happening. Right. It's a little it's surreal. Um, you still know because you've got that love, that love is permeating. Um, so you might not remember who shows up, like who comes to visit you. <laughs> um, and because you're so tired. That's what I remember most is like, I just wanted to sleep through everything. So I was, yeah, that, I mean, but this was years ago. You know, I'm, I'm expressing something that happened years ago. And I'm so fortunate, right, that I can be talking about this in a way that's, um, that I'm in a better place, right? I'm very encouraged for where I am in my management of my health. Uh, but anyway, that, yeah, so that, that's the answer. I think it's surrender. Um, and then you start realizing what's really important when you are at that place, for example, where you, what is going to make you want to get up in the morning? What gives you purpose when you can't do anything, you know? Um, and for me, that was music. And that's why even when I was completely unable to do anything except for be in bed, I still got a PR person. I still released music that I had recorded and I got that out because for some reason I, it was a compulsion, you know, to get music out. So, sorry, I, I'm writing down my notes for you. You're like saying these amazing oh, no, things. I'm like, fine. we're headlining with what gives you a purpose on the show notes. That's amazing. Um, what advice could you give? Because I know a lot of people who are listening to this aren't sick. They're listening to this because they want to know how to help their friend or their loved one or someone in their lives. 
what did someone do that really helped? Is there anything that you can think of that someone did like at the hospital or when you were first diagnosed or when you were first coming to terms with everything? Is there anything in particular that you could think of to give people advice on like, how do you help your person? Wow. Yeah. Sorry, I just uh, sprung that on you. That was no, like the questions great, I gave you. <laughs> it's a great question. It really is. It speaks so much to the role and the importance of a caretaker, you know, and again, I, I hate that I have a caretaker patient relationship or that I have so much with my husband. Um, it's become less that because I can do more and more now by myself. Um, but if you are fortunate to have, you know, if you're talking about a significant other situation, then um, just uh, kind of allowing your partner to understand what it is you're going through. So not necessarily holding back. Like it's not necessarily, they're not going to be your everything, but I think that it needs to be like you were talking about with your husband, that you need to sort of have um, an, a good enough relationship that you can, you know, know um, and that person can sort of be, help you regulate so that if there's times that you're really overdoing it, they're going to pull you back and they're sort of your check. The other thing is a support network. So what really helped me was my outside network. So I wouldn't have to burden my parents and my husband or my friends about this too much. Um, and that for me was a Facebook kind of uh, situation and finding my, like whatever your disease is, mine is myositis. So I was able to go online and find everything I could learn about myositis. That's what I do. And so for, um, having your, your partner understand, I, this isn't necessarily for your partner, this is for you. You need a support network so that you don't have to burden um, your partner. And that means you can be with people who understand your disease, who understand what you're dealing with. You can ask questions so that things aren't so, you know, unfamiliar and foreign. Um, you know, the other thing I guess that, that people have done that's been helpful for me is accommodate, understand that my limitations um, are realistic. The best way, for example, my producer, he would come up and spend a couple of days here so when you're talking about doing those musicals, the only reason I could record at the time is because he would come here and we would do the recording at my house. Yeah. So people and, and same, you know, even today, people know that I don't drive. Um, I can take Uber and Lyft, you know, places, but that things are sort of like I have limited um, spoons. And so ah. my stamina and energy is all based on musical spoons you speak of. I haven't seen one of those all day. <laughs> Yeah, if I had one, I'd be like, here, pretend this is a spoon. But so many people know about spoons that are watching this podcast. Oh, it's I don't a great, great way to describe it. I just meant I have no spoons today. I've been like, where are yeah. my spoons? I was supposed to have at least yeah. one or two, and now I'm borrowing from tomorrow. Because I already did all these interviews today. But see, the nice thing about this is I got to ask everybody questions, and now I get to share. It's oh. a very different experience when you're – asking the questions, right? Then when you're sharing your story. So anyway, it's all good. Um, anyway, so the other one is, is just having, um, being clear, you know, about your needs and limitations so that your friends and family understand how they can help, right? So people know that I'm not necessarily going to be good out at night, right? So either they don't invite me or they invite me and, and they, it's not a, understood that I'm going to be doing it right or the committing sometimes they understand that it means that I have to bow out even though I'm really interested in doing something setting boundaries for yourself 
Um, trying to think i mean there's <laughs> i'm brainstorming so you're doing like some great brainstorming well then i'll ask you because you, you had mentioned something in your um i read through your your questions a few times because this is like seriously everyone go to show notes like everything she wrote in the questions are beautiful and amazing but you'd written something about like people saying like oh but you look lovely today you must be feeling better and like i almost live in sheer terror and i know everyone means it well i i get it's like psychologically i get it realistically and you tell me I look nice or or you look good today like that's supposed to be a compliment but all I think is like I need to explain that I'm not actually okay or that this is just very temporary and I get this anxiety how do you deal with that I asking for a friend I have no idea how to deal with this gracefully it is it is always such a interesting point of discussion in that I I understand um, I'm a seriously empathic person. So part of it is just like, I'll go there. I know that my friend means my well-being. And also it's easier for somebody if they see that you are well and good, then it's just an easier, more comfortable situation than for dealing with somebody who is sick, right? So yeah. part of it is like for them and part of it is for you. So my answer is usually... I, I just accept that. I accept it. I'm grateful and I appreciate their their concern and interest and usually thank them. Um, it, I don't, I, I try to not add, but I'm not really that well. You should have seen me this morning, right? I just have to understand that when they saw me at that moment, I just have to say, thank you. Do you know what happens when I do that? I also start believing it. And that's huge. If you can believe that you are actually feeling positive and radiating, you know, you will. It's like if you're feeling like crap and you start to sing, you can't help but change that and elevate that spirit. But just because you started singing, you know what I mean? I'm not saying you go into an argument with your husband and like sing immediately, but like that, the idea. That could really that, short circuit an argument real fast in my household. That, that would, would be kind of interesting, right? Yeah, and in our I'd household, love to see so how that goes. I think, yeah, exactly. But I guess, you know, the short answer is they're really just meaning they know that you live with a chronic illness, unless this is somebody who doesn't know you and doesn't understand anything that you're going through. Okay, that's different. If you're talking about the people who know you and know what you're dealing with, they just are trying to, you know, one, make you feel good. And if you do look like, I could say, you really look nice today on camera. Like you really look like you're glowing, you know, and then don't tell me two hours ago, I was just crying. Oh, because, you think I did? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's fine. But my point is like, just take it and go, wow, like it, it, it just feel it for a minute. That's all you don't have. I, that's my own experience. So I where do try I to get the therapy? Do, yeah, do I write that out to you directly? Or? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm queen of positivity. I will say it's not that I don't have those moments, but I don't dwell in them. I, I, I do not allow myself to dwell. I'll allow myself to feel everything, but not dwell because I can't. I'll put it this way. I only have limited energy and stamina. Mm. I spend it on depression and things that are pulling me down. I won't, for example, I've decided I won't be around people who are a drain. I cannot take it. My body can't take it. Um, that's why I don't go into places that are super stimulating for, and you know, inordinate amounts of time, if any. Um, it's purposeful. I'm only surrounding myself with things that are going to build 
joy and energy, you know, positive energy for me. Cause I don't have the energy to spend on hard shit. You know, <laughs> you make beautiful points and you remind me so much of uh, one of my favorite Neil Gaiman, um, I don't know if you would call it a poem or a spoken word or I, I mean, like, what do you call Neil Gaiman's work? Like, I never know exactly how to categorize this. He's one of my favorite humans on the earth. Um, him and his wife. I'm just like, I, I would not like fangirl out over most people, but I don't know if I could actually meet either Amanda fucking Palmer. That is her name. There is no other way to say her name yeah. or Neil Gaiman without going into full like gush mode. I would just like die. But he talked about that. You know, whatever has gone horribly wrong in your life, make it art. That whatever yeah. is going on, you turn it around into, you turn your suffering into creativity. And I don't know any other way to do it. Like, I really don't. I suffer a lot. I mean, that, that's no lie. I dislocate. I have mass dislocations multiple times a day. It bites. There's no other way to phrase it. But I write all the time or I draw when my wrist isn't dislocating. Hey, wrist. Um, and my son calls me, uh, what is it? Um, terminally optimistic. <laughs> and that seems like it really fits. Because if you're not, just imagine the kind of sadness and the kind of um, what you're missing in life if you went through life with that with that attitude, right? Even for your kids, you're not even a, a great role model for them on well, how to would say it. I'm not anyway, but <laughs> stop. No, no. I'm just saying like, you know what I mean? One of one of the people that was on my show was just saying like she is saying that she's a role model for her kids on how to deal with adversity. And she does not want them to see her. It's not that she doesn't want to be real, you know what I mean, but she does not she wants to give them ways to deal with things, not, you know, curl up in a ball and, and stay there for, you know, five weeks. You know, um, that's actually, you're so funny. Cause we just, my, um, when I was crying earlier, my daughter came in and she oh. was like, what can I do? Like, ah, ah. And I'm like, you know what? Sometimes I'm sad and sometimes yeah. things are really bad. And honestly, I have to tell you, kid, it might not be comfortable for the other people in the room. But yes. if I don't go through this, it just goes deeper and it gets darker and bigger. Anything under the carpet gets bigger. <laughs> like So sometimes I'm just going to have to be upset and that's going to make everyone uncomfortable. And that's okay. Yeah, it's true. And, and you have to do what you need, you know, for to make you able to get through the next day, you know, that day. Well, that and I mean, she's a, a girl growing up in this world. I don't want her to learn that she needs to make people comfortable at the expense of her emotional well-being. <laughs> like I was taught. Like, oh, I would love that. That right here and now with this I generation. Love, <laughs> yeah, I would love that lesson because oh, I'm God. still I'm such an accommodator in that fashion. It so, is like so, that is one of the things that I'm working on. Right? Is it's okay to say to somebody I need instead mm -hmm. of apologizing or asking for approval and those uh -huh. are things that, really I mean it's can we totally, tattoo that somewhere <laughs> I know right it's like it's if I need I say I need to go take a nap not may I take a nap or I'm sorry I'm going you know I need to take a nap. it's like that needs to get out of my vocabulary so I'm trying to be much more aware that because I'll be a better human to other people and that you know that's another lesson I've gotten along the way is that self-love and, and that self-care, self-need, whatever. It's not selfish. It is oh. preservation. It's like <laughs> preservation. If you don't get your 
sleep, your meds, your whatever brings you joy. So your art, whatever it is, you can't be there for others. You can't, you know, barely be there for yourself, but you have a daughter, you know, you have a husband, you have a son and and a pug. The pug needs me. (laughs) Your, your fans and your friends need you to be right. So that's the way I can, you know, justify sort of like, uh, if I need to sleep or whatever those needs are, I try to look at it as like, not selfish, but self-love. Oh my God, you are amazing. And I would kidnap you for the rest of today. I know I'm like your last interview of the day and I want to be mindful of your energy level and we are almost at an hour. So I need to thank you because this is, (laughs) I've been looking forward to this for a month and you just are, oh, I would, I would seriously kidnap you. You're amazing. Well, I'd like to extend an offer and to continue, you know, conversations, connecting um, with Please. you, with folks who are watching, if, if they're inspired or, you know, just want to have this kind of connection or ask questions. I'm open. That's what I'm here for. Um, my book is coming out in nine days um, and we're going to have a, a launch event sort of in December that's going to be celebrating all of these amazing artists who are creating to heal. So just stay tuned for that. Um, I have a new website that I'll, I'll tell you, um, but it's not going to be out until closer to like next week, but it's called a light in the darkness.info. And, that's oh, and it'll be out when this comes out. This comes out next week. So when everyone's listening yes. to this, you should be up and running. Awesome. Okay. Anyway, but I wanted to just mostly thank you for taking time uh, for making this available for all the people <laughs> who, who need it. It just, it, and for including me, I'm really blessed and appreciative. And um, you have an open invitation to come on the blog, post things on the blog. You have open invitation to come back and discuss any panel about like staying creative while sick or how to handle a hospital visit. You are, you have open invitation. Just email me and uh, yeah, you have open invitation to just chat with me too. I like you. So thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. And um, I'm going to end with my always tagline, which is be kind, be gentle, be a badass. Thank you, everyone, so much. Um, our numbers were crazy last month. I, I Beyond my wildest expectations, we don't advertise. So if you want to be really kind to us, go to iTunes, still best place, uh, or Apple Podcasts now, I guess is what they're calling it, and say something embarrassingly nice about us. Share us with your Facebook groups. Share us with friends, family, anyone you'd like to understand chronic illness better. If you want to be really, really nice to us, and you can, we have a Patreon account, I think is how we say this. And um, anything you can donate, we're very grateful. Being sick in America is deeply expensive. So please tune in next week. And please, 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 please go to our show notes. We'll have links to everything this amazing woman does. Buy her book. It's going to be amazing. I can't wait to read it. So thank you. Have a great week. And we'll see you all next week.